Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. A few weeks ago at Gateway Seminary, we hosted our annual Intersect Conference. The theme of this conference every year is the intersection of cultures with one another, or the intersection of Christianity and the culture. This year we chose to go down the latter path and address issues related to men and women working together in ministry organizations. Uh, the theme of our conference was Better Together, and our uh, approach was to try to lay out proactive strategies and methods that would help women and men work together better in ministry organizations. Now, if you're following any kind of uh, news at all, you know this is a major problem. Uh, we're having all kinds of uh, scandals and breakdowns and difficulties right now as uh, harassment, abuse, and even uh, just breakdown of roles and, and, and role confusion and all of that that goes on in ministry organizations is upon us, it seems like, a plague. And we have to do something about it. And so our conference attempted to address this in a proactive fashion. Now, besides the main uh, sessions, I also uh, co-taught a uh, breakout session with Becky Badry, who works here at Gateway Seminary. Uh, or who did. She's uh, now moved on with her husband to a min new ministry assignment, but she was with us for several years. Uh, she worked closely with me in the president's office as a partner in ministry, and uh, because of that, we were able to team teach uh, the, a seminar entitled Beyond the Billy Graham Rule, uh, Practical uh, Aspects of Men and Women Working Together in Ministry Organizations. Now, what is the Billy Graham Rule? When Billy Graham started his ministry back in the late 1940s, early 1950s, there were a lot of scandals related to morality and money that plagued uh, evangelists and evangelistic ministries. And so Mr. Graham made some early on decisions that he was not going to allow those two things to, to happen. And he made uh, some very thorough and good plans about how to keep his ministry's financial integrity intact and above question. And he also made <clears throat> some decisions about how to uh, maintain the moral integrity of their ministry. The way he did that was he and the leaders of his organization invoked a rule that they would never travel alone, be alone, meet alone, or in any way uh, work alone with any woman uh, while they were in their ministry leadership role. And that became known as the Billy Graham Rule. And it's been uh, talked about as recently as Vice President Pence of the United States talking about this as a way that he managed his own moral choices. Well, our conference was entitled Beyond the Billy Graham Rule, and that's what I want to talk about today on the podcast. I think the Billy Graham Rule uh, is out of date. I think it is a rule that has a good motive, but I think we have to go beyond the Billy Graham rule in some specific ways uh, to help us understand how to work together today. Now, there's a couple of things that have changed since the 1950s that I think mean that we have to amend how we apply uh, this rule or this principle. The first is the changing nature of women's roles in ministry organizations. When Billy Graham uh, started his ministry, most women in ministry organizations served in lower-level support roles. They were secretaries or assistants. Uh, they may have been involved in maintenance or custodial or food service, but there were very few women in that day uh, that had high-profile leadership responsibilities in churches or ministry organizations. Now, that is simply not true today. 
Uh, here at Gateway Seminary, for example, we have a number of women that serve in director level positions. And in most ch large churches, there are a number of women on staff, number of women in director level roles. Uh, some maybe even serving in supervisory and oversight roles where they have significant responsibility for the overall ministry of the church or the organization. Uh, so the role of women has changed significantly such that uh, it is very difficult for them to do their jobs that they've been asked to do if they can't meet with men uh, in one-on-one -on -one situations. Another aspect of the culture that's changed that's really uh, made me rethink the Billy Graham rule happened a few years ago here at Gateway Seminary. Our youth ministry professor asked for an appointment to talk with me about a dilemma that he was, fa he was facing, and so here's the story he told me. Uh, he has taught in our youth ministry classes the importance of male youth pastors not spending time alone with individual uh, girls in their youth groups and having a system of uh, decorum and of appropriateness in terms of how they related to the girls they were responsible to, to lead. Well, uh, so this male youth pastor had uh, been reaching out to guys in his area, and one particularly young man, about 15 years old, had started coming to his youth group and had been coming for about three months. And uh, they had met a couple times for Bible study and sharing the gospel and working on this person's spiritual development. When they had their next meeting, though, uh, the 15-year-old boy said, uh, what I've never told you before is that I'm gay. And, in fact, I have a really strong attraction to you, and I wonder if you feel the same way toward me. And if so, I'd like to, I'd like to pursue that. Well, the youth pastor, of course, uh, cut that off immediately and, and did the right thing in terms of helping this teenager to understand that was not going to be a part of their relationship. Uh, but then he came to our uh, professor and said, D does this mean that I can't spend time alone with guys either? And if I can't be alone with guys or I can't meet with guys in this kind of capacity, how do I, how do I disciple them? How do I train them? How do I mentor them? And so this raised a whole nother level of discussion for us about what is appropriate one-on-one uh, -on -one relationship look uh, what does appropriate one-on-one -on -one relationships look like uh, in ministry organizations especially uh, in this kind of setting so the world has changed and that means that we have to take the spirit of the Billy Graham rule and even the goal of the Billy Graham rule but I think go beyond the Billy Graham rule so I want to give you uh, three overarching principles and then five practical steps you can take that I think will uh, be applicable in our contemporary ministry setting and will help you to maintain uh, the proper kind of relationships between women and men who work together in your organization. The first uh, over, uh, underlying principle is this, respect co-workers as colleagues, both men and women. When I was preparing this uh, talk, I uh, asked the women who were in leadership in, at Gateway Seminary to reflect back with me uh, on some key things that the seminary does in this area that are positive that they would like to see me uh, teach and would like to see expanded. And this was the number one thing they sent back. They said the, the best part about working at Gateway in this regard is that we feel respected here. Uh, we're not viewed primarily as women in the organization. We're viewed as competent partners in the organization who happen to be women. And so while our gender is not minimized or ignored, it's not the defining issue as to whether we are respected, trusted, and empowered to work in the organization. So respect for coworkers as colleagues, both men and women, is foundational to getting this whole issue resolved correctly. One woman uh, said to me, 
in my former workplace, which was also a Christian organization, uh, they had a different attitude toward women. And when I would go to meetings, men would even move their chairs away from me to be sure they didn't sit too close lest they be contaminated by me in some sense. I was always sort of perceived as a threat to them or something that brought risk to the organization because I was in their presence. And she said, in the entire time I've worked at Gateway, no one's ever moved their chair away from me in a meeting. And it's meant a lot to me to know that, I have a, uh, that I'm respected here and trusted, and I'm really seen as a colleague and a valuable partner, not someone who's a threat. So number one, practical, uh, or number one foundational issue, respect your coworkers as colleagues. Number two, identify sexist habits and work to overcome them. Now, this is hard to hear, but most men in ministry organizations unwittingly demonstrate sexism toward the women in their organizations. Now, when I say unwittingly, if you interviewed uh, most Christian leaders, they would say, well, of course I value women and of course I respect women. Uh, But they don't understand that they're unintentionally or unwittingly doing things that communicate a different message. Let me me give you some examples. Uh, One is making derogatory comments about women are jokes about women as a group. Now, there's certainly a place for humor in the workplace, but I'm talking about repeated statements that reinforce how a person sees women in terms of either derogatory, pejorative, or humorous ways uh, that really uh, stereotype women and really reveal a stereotypical understanding of how they think or how they feel or even how they work. Another uh, example is facilitating male cultural norms in the organization. Like, for example, the staff decides to go out to dinner and they choose a steakhouse because all men like to go out to steakhouses. But if men and women are both on the team, is there any consideration given to where the whole team might like to go as opposed to just the guys? Um, Another situation was... uh, uh, here at Gateway, we once had a faculty outing, and the idea was proposed, let's all go to a Major League Baseball game. Well, a lot of us, especially the guys, thought that was a great idea. But some of the faculty, particularly the women, uh, weren't necessarily that enthralled with the idea of going. Now, a couple of them wanted to go, but most didn't. And we learned through that experience that we needed to have more dialogue about what would the whole faculty enjoy, not just some parts of it. And then if we're going to do something like that, let's be sure we alternate so that we do something that uh, be more athletic or more sports-oriented one year, but the next year or the next time we do it, let's do something entirely different that others on the faculty might be able to select. Uh, when I team taught this with Becky, she uh, shared this illustration. She once joined an organization where she was the first woman to be brought into a leadership level in the organization. All the other leaders at her level were men. The organization had a tradition of an annual camping trip by the executive leaders uh, to build rapport, do planning, etc. And when it came around to that time of year and they started planning it, she said, hang on just a second. Now, explain this camping trip to me again. And they were caught up, in, or, or, and they were, they were kind of forced to acknowledge that they'd not even thought about this in terms of what this would mean for a woman to go away with a group of men on a camping trip. And they had to kind of take a giant step back and rethink how they were going to do team building and bonding and strategic planning because that wasn't really going to work any longer. Now, derogatory comments, sexist jokes, uh, pejorative uh, remarks, facilitating cultural norms, 
uh, without regard for women or without regard for how men and women have to work together in those contexts. Uh, what can you do about these things? Well, you can also, if you have an organization that's large enough, you can ask your HR director for feedback or training. Uh, but more importantly, you can just ask the people you work with for feedback and training and have some honest discussions about these issues so that there is a, a willingness to identify and actually discuss these habits and, and maybe work jointly to overcome them. Um, I've had uh, meaningful conversations over the years with my assistants about these issues. Women that I respected and trusted and valued for their insight, I've asked them you know, to help me to know how to approach an issue or how to deal with a situation or with something I was planning to say, how that might be received or how it might be heard. And they've helped correct me. They've helped to redirect me. And they've also helped me to say on a few occasions, really, that's not that big of a concern, Jeff. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't think about that anymore. Just go ahead. And so having that kind of frank conversation will help you to do this second foundational principle, which is identify and overcome uh, sexist habits, even unwittingly or unknowingly held. And then the third thing, uh, and this is so significant, and when I teach this especially to younger leaders, uh, I really have to take some time here because this is a tough one. And that is you have to clarify the primary and determinative role you have with every person or every coworker in your organization. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, people have roles that are defined by their responsibilities and their titles. For example, if you're in a church situation, there are pastors and there are members, and those are very different roles. But there also are employees of the church that are not pastors but, and that are not members or that may also be members. But listen to this very carefully. When a person becomes an employee in a church context, even if they've previously been a member, that new status of employee is now the determinative role and the, that, 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 uh, that controls how you have to relate to them. So they're no longer just a member. Now they're an employee, and the rules and responsibilities and regulations that relate to how employees relate to each other are, if you're their supervisor, how supervisors relate to employees, all come into effect in that role or in that way. Now, this is very significant because quite often, especially in churches, members do take on employee uh, responsibilities. They become assistants or custodians or program directors or ministry leaders. Sometimes they're part-time, sometimes they're full-time. But get this in your mind. When a person becomes an employee, that trumps their membership. You no longer can relate to them simply as a church member. Now you have to relate to them primarily as an employee because that role is determinative in your relationship. Same thing in a work context like the seminary or a ministry organization. Employees are employees. When you're a supervisor, you have a supervisory relationship with an employee. Those relationships are governed by labor law and organizational policy, not personal feelings or friendships. Now, this is so vital because this is a place of confusion that leads to a significant bit of disruption and dysfunction in ministry organizations. Uh, for example, recently I mentioned that Becky is leaving to go with her husband to another ministry responsibility. And uh, we've been working on her ending date. She gave me lots of notice. She's been training her replacement. And so we're trying to work out, you know, uh, her ending date in conjunction with when their house sells and all those kinds of things. And we're trying to be very flexible about that, obviously. She's been a wonderful employee. Uh, we want to be uh, as, as, as uh, uh, accommodating as we can. But when she called a few days ago and said, I need to get this finalized, I said, okay, I really am 
willing to accommodate and be flexible. But here's what you need to do. You need to go to the HR office, find out exactly how much leave you have, exactly how much vacation you have, exactly how much time off you have coming to you and how much we need to pay you and all of that. And you and the HR director, according to policy, need to set your, your, your ending date and what that means for you exactly. You may say, well, but she's been a good employee and she's been very supportive and couldn't you just work it out with her? And the answer to that is no, because I can't work out something like that on a friend-to-friend relationship. It has to be worked out as, an empl- as a supervisor-to-employee relationship, and it has to be worked out according to seminary policy, and it has to be worked out under California labor law. And there can't be exceptions to that just because we like her or we like any certain employee. Now... I made this statement in the seminar, I'll make it again today, and I want you to listen to it and think it through. In ministry organizations, particularly with employees, you should be friendly, but you should not be friends. Now, I'm using those two words to try to make a point, so pay attention. You should be friendly. You should be kind. You should be supportive. Uh, You should have a nice attitude and a cooperative spirit. You should be friendly, but you're not friends. Your relationship, the determinative role, is not friend to friend. It is employee to employee, or in some cases, supervisor to employee. And you say, well, I don't want to work that way. I want to just be friends with everyone I work with. You may think you can do that, but just wait until somebody crosses California labor law and you will discover how quickly your friends are not your friends anymore. So I want to really emphasize this. In ministry organizations, there should be a friendly environment. People should be supportive. People should be caring. People should be cooperative. There should be a friendly work environment. But you have to remember that the determinative role is not friend to friend or even in churches, member to member. The determinative role is employee to employee or, in some cases, supervisor to employee. And that's the role that every aspect of the relationship Uh, has to be interpreted through. Someone asked me at the seminar, well, do you and Becky ever do anything as friends? And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, there was one time that she and her husband and my wife and I went to a play together to see a mutual friend perform, and uh, we did do that thing together as two couples. But Becky and I don't go out to lunch together. We we, we don't travel together. We don't spend time alone together. We don't have prolonged phone conversations about personal issues. We're not friends. We're a supervisor and an employee, but yet we have a friendly relationship. Now, I know this is hard for some of you because the younger you are, the more your life is an entwined network of relationships, and you've, been, uh, you've, you've had that inculcated in your life primarily through, get this, your phone. Uh, most people today have a phone that is the combination of everything about their lives. It inter- they have all their contacts, all their email, all their, all their work uh, uh, responsibilities, and they have one phone number, and they use it for work, they use it for social life, they use it for family life, and I get that. I get that. I do the same thing. And so that makes it incredibly difficult uh, to sort this out. A lot of you also that are younger leaders, you don't like hierarchy, and you don't like structure, and you don't like to have to define things as I'm defining them today. But I am telling you that you must learn to do this if you're going to maintain really good working relationships because these roles do define how the relationships have to be conducted. So three foundational principles. Respect your coworkers, identify sexist habits, and clarify the primary roles. Now, five suggestions. 
Number one, no secret meetings with anyone, men or women. Now, there's a difference between a secret meeting and a private meeting. A private meeting is a meeting that is scheduled through my assistant that meets in my office with a window in the door and meets while there are other staff present outside my office in the building. So there's three definitions of a meeting that make it private. You're meeting privately with me, one-on-one, but that meeting has been scheduled through someone, so someone else knows it's happening. That meeting has been is in a place where there's a window where the meeting, while you can't hear what happens, can be observed. And three, that meeting happens with someone else present in the facility outside my office working while it's going on. Now, a secret meeting is a meeting that you arrange by yourself with another person that you don't want anyone else to know about, that you have in a place no one else can find, and that you tell the other person, we have to keep anyone from knowing about this. Let's keep this a secret. Going beyond the Billy Graham rule, resting on the three foundations I've already taught, first practical aspect, no secret meetings. Private meetings, yes. Secret meetings, no. Number two, I advocate no touching beyond a handshake greeting in the workplace. This means no hand-holding while praying, no hugs when a person is hurting, no back rubs, pats on the back, etc. I've been recently dealing with a situation where uh, a minister has been dismissed because he had an inappropriate relationship with a woman in his, that, 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 he was, that he employed. And when we were talking and discovering where it all started, he said, well, I was giving her a back rub and she claimed my hand went too low. Well, when he said I was giving her a back rub, I just kind of put up my hand and said, just stop. Just stop right there. Why are you giving an employee a back rub? Why are you touching an employee in that capacity? Stop there. Don't do that. So no touching men or women beyond a handshake in the workplace. No hand-holding while praying. No hugs when a person is hurting. No playing footsie in a circle while you're having a prayer time. No back rubs. No pats on the back. Nothing. Now, someone might say, well, what if you're in chapel and you ask everyone to hold hands while they pray? All right. If you ask everyone uh, in a 200 attendant service like our chapel to hold hands while praying, I think that could be permissible or acceptable. What I'm talking about here is you with your assistant in the office while she's telling you about the struggles she's having with her children, putting your arm around her and holding her hand and praying for her. That is absolutely not acceptable. No touching in the workplace. Third, no private media accounts. Now, that means no private Facebook, no private Instagram, no private uh, uh, anything. And it also means no private use of electronics, meaning no text messaging, nothing like that, that you would be sending out anything you wouldn't want other people to see. Now, this is going to startle some of you. It certainly startled people at the, in the uh, seminar we taught the other day. But uh, my wife and my assistant have full access to all of my media accounts and full access to all of my electronics. I have a phone, an iPad, and a laptop. All of those are available to my wife and my assistant. Um, all of the things that I do on those are available to the IT department of our seminary. There is no private email, no private text messaging, and no private web surfing. Not for any employee of Gateway Seminary. It's all held on our server, and it's all available for inspection. Now, you may say, well, there's a lot of confidential information there. Yes, there is, and we trust people to keep that in confidence. And in fact, I'm going to do the next podcast on that very subject. But 
no secret media, no private accounts, no electronics that don't have someone monitoring them uh, to make sure they're used appropriately. Now, most of the time, when I'm getting involved in helping people who've gotten in some kind of problem in a moral or ethical dilemma in the workplace or with another person of the opposite sex, it is uncanny today how often it starts with a text message or with a Facebook message or with an Instagram message or with something that's sent electronically that's inappropriate. It usually starts with some kind of flirting online and progresses from there. And so that's a third aspect of going beyond the Billy Graham rule. Number four, I have a no gifts policy with, with employees. Now what I mean by that is um, I do not exchange extravagant Christmas or birthday gifts. <clears throat> In fact, I prefer no gifts, but as I like to say, I, I'm not a jerk about it. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, my office staff here at Gateway knows that I have a no gifts policy, and I prefer that there be no gifts exchanged with me at Christmas or birthday. Um, now, when I say I'm not a jerk about it, I had one assistant who said, but it's your birthday, and birthdays meant a great deal to her. And so she said, can I get you a cupcake? I said, you may get me one cupcake. So she actually would bring a cupcake with one candle on it, and there were four of us working in the office, and so we would cut that cupcake into four pieces, and we'd all have two bites, and that would call, we'd call that my birthday celebration. The reason I have a no gifts policy is I, I don't want people giving me gifts and by that trying to curry favor with me or even have the slightest implication of that. And then secondarily, I don't want anyone I'm giving a gift to to get the wrong idea that I'm trying to get something from them or appreciate them for something they're doing beyond the normal work they do here in the organization. Now you say, does that mean you don't even acknowledge Christmas? Well, here's how we do it. Uh, my wife often obtains small gifts of appreciation for our office staff at Christmas. And my wife and I together will hand our, my assistant or her assistants or someone else who works, or her assistant or someone else who works here in the office, their Christmas uh, gift and say, we want to thank you for your work for the both of us this year, and we want to share this gift with you in appreciation. And it's a token gift. It's a small gift. It's a small gift card or something like that, not an extravagant gift at all. Now, by involving my wife in this, it helps me to clarify that I'm not asking for any special favor. I'm not acknowledging anything that everyone doesn't already know about and that I'm giving the gift openly. In fact, my wife's actually selected it, wrapped it, and brought it, and we're giving it jointly to the people who work with us. Now, um, in doing that, uh, a sexist issue was raised a, uh, a few years ago. Uh, for the first time uh, in the recent years, one of the assistants in our office is actually a guy. And so when my wife was getting the Christmas gift, she said, do you want to get the gift for the, for the guy that works in our office? And I said, yeah, wait a second, no. If I get him a gift, but I refuse to get one for the women, that's a sexist act in my office, and that communicates a sexist attitude. So no, Ann, you go ahead and get something that would be the same for all three, that wouldn't have any gender connotation, that we can just give to all of them and say thank you for your work for us this past year. And so, and so we've been able to do that, and so whether it's men or women, we follow the same policy. No gifts, certainly no extravagant gifts, and when we do give a gift of appreciation or acknowledgement like something small at Christmas, we make sure that that comes from the both of us and that my wife is not only involved in selecting the gift, but she's actually present when the gifts are given. And then the final step is uh, careful tra uh, being careful with travel issues. Um, I do not travel together with my assistant. 
in any capacity. We don't go to the airport together. She doesn't give me a ride anywhere. We don't fly together. We don't go other places together. Um, <clears throat> when I'm on the road traveling and an awkward situation arises, uh, I call Anne immediately and tell her what's happening. Now, what I mean by that is occasionally, it doesn't happen often, but occasionally a church or a ministry organization will actually send a woman uh, to the airport to pick me up or send a woman to the hotel to give me a ride to the church or something like that. Now, it happens rarely, but it does happen. And I try not to embarrass people or, or, or be a jerk about it, but I, I don't feel comfortable in that situation. And so what I typically do is I say, call my wife and say, Ann, I'm getting in the car with, and I'll say the person's name, who's been sent from the church to give me a ride. And I just want to let you know about that and uh, tell you that I'm on my way there, and I'll, I'll call you in a few minutes when I arrive. And I do that just as a little bit of protection, a little bit of accountability uh, to help me remember that I, I don't really need to be traveling or being appear, uh, to appear to be traveling with women when I'm on the road. And then the second thing is when I'm on the road and I'm approached by a woman, and it has happened a couple of times, doesn't happen often, but just someone who comes up and strikes up a conversation in an airport or, or a hotel, and you think, you know, I'm not quite sure where this is going. What I do is I try to bring my wife into the conversation as quickly as possible by saying something like, you know, that's interesting that you would ask me about that restaurant because that's the kind of place my wife likes to go, and I really enjoy going there with her. Or that's interesting that you would tell me about that trip you've been on. You know, my wife and I took a great trip last year. In other words, I find a way very early in the conversation to say, I'm not quite sure why you're talking to me or where this is headed, but I just want you to know that I'm really happily married, and I want to be sure we get that on the table pretty early on in the conversation. And it does have an effect of helping people understand understand who you are and where you're coming from. So three underlying principles that take us beyond the Billy Graham rule. Respect your coworkers as colleagues, identify and overcome sexist habits, and clarify the primary and determinative role every coworker has and operate from that role. And then five practical suggestions to take you beyond the Billy Graham rule. No secret meetings with anyone, men or women. Private meetings, yes. Secret meetings, no. No touching, men or women, beyond a handshake greeting in the workplace. Yes, there's a place to hold hands in chapel and have a prayer together, perhaps so. But I'm talking about private meetings, small group meetings, or any other context where the touching would be perceived as being more intimate. No private media accounts. Open access to your media accounts and to your electronics. Someone needs to have access to those, and in my case, it's... Uh, not only my assistant and my wife, but secondarily, uh, the IT system of our school, which is under the monitor of, our, of a vice president and ultimately our board of trustees. Anyone can see all of that in my life. And then I have a no gifts policy, and I would encourage you to have a similar one. No extravagant gifts, certainly, and no expectation of gifts. And when you give gifts, make sure you give them in such a way that there's no possible way uh, that your motives could be questioned. And then finally, monitor travel issues carefully. Uh, no traveling with a person of the opposite uh, sex. No traveling certainly with your assistant or being seen in that context. And then beyond that, uh, being very careful about how you handle situations that come up where you are placed in an awkward moment or someone creates an awkward moment and you have a strategy in place to take care of those. Uh, as I said, without being an embarrassment or without putting someone on the spot or without being, as I like to say, a jerk about it. But at the same time, being careful to maintain the decorum and the appropriate said behavior that you want to portray. Well, the Billy Graham rule was a wonderful uh, statement of mor morality and ethic ethical behavior in the 1950s when Mr. Graham put it into effect. I certainly don't oppose the rule. I just think we have to go beyond it. I think our workforces have changed, our uh, moral climate has changed in our nation, and we need to be sure that we have foundational principles and 
best practices that take us beyond the Billy Graham rule. Put this into effect. It'll make you uh, more circumspect in your ministry leadership, and I think it'll make you more effective as you lead on.